Father, though we're not looking at one passage but many, we pray that your voice and not mine would shine through, that we would hear and be convicted and challenged and changed for your glory's sake, and that all that you intend for us to be as a church here would be made plain to us through these words. And we pray it for in your glory's sake. Amen. As I say, this morning we return to our short series looking at our church's four core commitments. Uh, three weeks ago, uh, we thought about reach, our passion as a church to tell other people who don't yet know Jesus about him and to bring them into eternal life. And then two weeks ago, we thought about uh, building our commitment as a church to love one another and speak the truth about Jesus to one another so that we grow up to doctrinal maturity. Well, today we come back to our series to think about training. When I say the word training, do you think about continuing professional development, whatever that means in your workplace? Do you think of uh, training days on communication or engaging with people who are different than you? Yes, that is a training day in the Diocese of London, uh, and uh, very interesting it was too. Uh, Culturally, I think we tend to use the word training to mean Uh, something to do with skills. So we go to sports training to improve or hone our our rowing or our rugby skills. We do courses in how to use IT better so that we're better equipped for our workplaces. And of course in church we run training for our Sunday school leaders, our small group leaders. We might run some evangelism training. We do, do some skills work here. But is that what the Bible means? If that is what the Bible means by uh, training, well then I guess we'd want to invest a lot of our time in uh, courses, in training people in various skills, wouldn't we? We'd put a lot of our energies into excellent programmes and systems as a church because we're really concerned with competence in doing everything as well as we can. Of course, we are concerned with doing everything as well as we can here as a church. But I've been so conditioned by this common, everyday use of the word training that when I picked up my Bible a couple of weeks ago to begin preparing for this sermon, I have to say that's what I expected to see, that training was about skills. But that isn't what the Bible means at all. And it mustn't therefore be our emphasis as a church either. So let's leave our prior assumptions at the door if we can and look at the Bible and what it has to say about training. And to do this, we're going to do three things this morning. I'm going to look at the use of training words to start with, the building blocks for our our theology of training. Then we're going to look at a couple of examples of people who do training in the Bible and how that happens. And then we'll begin to think about how that affects the training we do here as a church at Christ Church. I say begin because inevitably it'll raise all sorts of questions for us that we'll need to go on talking about for the weeks and months ahead. So let's begin with training in godliness. And the key thing I want us to see this morning, uh, the most fundamental thing, the thing that uh, is the focus of the training language throughout the Bible is this. Training is about godliness and character, not about skills and abilities. Godliness, not giftedness. And that means training isn't just for helping talented people to use their talents to serve the church. We might think that. Uh, Training is for every single Christian as we seek to pursue our common calling to uh, to godliness. Just consider the first passage we had read for a moment, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 
and verses 16 and 17. Uh, you're going to flick around a little bit, uh, but it'd be good to have passages open in front of you if you can. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, page 1196. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Did you notice training in righteousness? Training is about living righteously, living God's way. Both knowing the truth, the teaching element, and living it out. They go together. The purpose of teaching, of rebuking, of correcting, and of training is righteous living. Like the woman walking in the woods who comes to a fork in the path. We are both to have teaching to know which is the correct path to take, the map, if you like, and the training that enables us to take the right path. I think that's the essence of verse 17. Look down with me, would you? That the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thoroughly equipped, that is, lacking no necessary tools or wisdom. And for every good work, in, in every single situation the fully trained person will be able to pick the correct path and walk in it. That's the idea. And notice the beginning of verse 16. All of this comes from the Scriptures. God has given us the whole Word of God, and we need the whole counsel of God if we're to live holy, righteous lives and be equipped for every situation. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that we can ever reach that place. But nevertheless... If building, we saw a couple of weeks ago, is about helping each other to know the truth, to see the whole truth and to to know how to apply it, then training is about the godliness that puts it into practice. They go hand in hand. You'll see lots of building and training language going together this morning. The Word of God gives us everything we need for life and godliness, which is why in chapter 4, in the the rest of the passage we had read uh, by Ruth, Paul tells Timothy to preach the gospel. If the word of God is useful for teaching and so on and so forth, then preach the gospel in season and out of season. Do your work with the Bible open in front of you, Timothy, because it is that that gives us uh, the ability to do this. And so our preaching and teaching ministries here are really important for our training. But assuming that we have the Bible open in front of us in in everything that we do here, formally as a church, there's more to be said about training than simply teaching. And here I think are where the surprises kick in. Let's flick up a few verses, and let's go back a couple of pages to page 1193. We're going to be in the pastoral epistles quite a bit this morning, because that's where most of the training language is in the New Testament. 1 Timothy chapter 4, and verse 7. We've just done a, a teaching series through 1 Timothy. And you can listen to Andy's full talk on this passage if you want to on our website. 1 Timothy 4 verse 7 Have nothing to do with godless myths or old wise tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. The word train here is the word gymnase. It's the word for a hard workout in the gym. Hence, in verse 8, the comparison between physical training being of some value, and godliness, uh, the same sort of workout, having eternal value. Paul says, work hard like you put a sweat on in the gym. Work hard at your godliness. 
You have to fight for it. You have to bend your body to it. You have to be committed to it. You have to train in it. Godliness doesn't just happen. It comes when we train hard. But in case we think this is something that we do by ourselves, Paul then goes on in his second letter to Timothy, back over one page uh, to 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, picking up lots of the same ideas and, and carrying the argument forwards in 2 Timothy. Paul says this, For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love and self-discipline or self-training. Even as you're working hard on your godliness, it's the Spirit of God at work in us to make us more like Jesus. Which makes total sense of Paul's instruction in uh, Philippians chapter 3, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. It's, it's teamwork, isn't it? We work hard at godliness as the Spirit of God changes us from the inside. Of course, the danger is if that's all we have to say, we're going to become monks and nuns. I go and live in the desert on our own, as many did in the early church, because godliness is something achieved in private. But that's not the New Testament picture at all. Our personal commitment to training doesn't mean we go it alone. Just flick over the page, a couple of pages, to Titus chapter 2, page 1198. Titus chapter 2 and verse 3. And notice here that the link again between teaching and training, the two things go together, building and training go together. Uh, Titus chapter 2 and verse 3, Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge, literally train, younger women to love their husbands and children, and so on and so forth. Paul commands Titus, the leader of the church, to teach the older women so that they can both teach and train the younger women. Now, Paul, I think, here assumes that every believer seeks to grow in godliness. And so if you've become an older Christian who's been a Christian for a long time, there's an assumption here, I think, that you've grown in maturity. And so you have a certain authority in the church. The older women are in a position to teach the younger women. There's an authority there. But I think Paul assumes something else. Did you notice? Uh, He's encouraging the older women to train the younger women in what it means to be a godly woman. Of course, Titus is the pastor. Titus can stand up and teach the theory of godliness for women, and indeed he must. But Paul is entrusting uh, further teaching and training to those who've lived through it. Those who've learned a great deal about what it is to be godly women by being godly women over a long period of time. Now, Paul seems to think that those women are best placed to teach the younger women and to train them. And that idea of older Christians training younger Christians is obvious again in passages like Ephesians chapter 4, verse 6. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. I guess that's obvious, isn't it? Older Christians in the home should be wiser and more godly. And so they should be able to train the younger ones who are coming up in their home in the path which they should walk in. And we we should do that with patience and gentleness because it should be that we're more godly than our children. And so when they fall into ungodliness, we should have the patience and wisdom to be gentle with them. And I know that that is sometimes far from my mind with my boys.
God has given us a structure in the home, an obvious picture of what it is to be an older Christian raising younger Christians. In the last few months, I've taken up swimming. Uh, Ask Rob about how uh, poorly I do it afterwards. I'm not a very good swimmer. In fact, I get quite excited about getting to the end of my session without drowning. But I've taken up swimming because, in Paul's words in uh, Timothy, it helps me to get fit. Uh, Physical training is of some value. I'm committed to uh, being a better swimmer because it's better for me. But the truth is, my technique is pretty ropey. I could do with some lessons, if I'm honest. Someone who could uh, come alongside me and help me to get all the bad habits out of my technique. And so it is with godliness. Of course, you need to have that commitment to growing godliness for yourself. But Paul would then say, you also need to seek out those who can train you in godliness. People who can point you in the way you should go. People who can apply the scriptures to your life. It's not something we're supposed to do by ourselves. And finally, on these, the use of train words in the New Testament, we need to turn to the most common word for training in the New Testament. And back to Hebrews chapter 12, which Shona read for us a few minutes ago. And I'm not going to explain the whole text. Uh, Indeed, I haven't got time to even really scratch the surface. But I want to notice a theme that runs through here. The main word for training in the Bible is also the word for discipline. It's um, Usually context tells you which is intended. Sometimes it's quite hard to know whether whether the writer intends us to mean uh, training or discipline. If you think about it, they're related ideas, aren't they? Imagine coming to that uh, fork in the road again. Uh, Training is about saying, that's the correct path over there. Take that one. And being led along the path. Uh, Discipline is the firm correction that comes when you start trying to take the wrong path. It's the hand on the shoulder that says, no, no, you don't want to go that way. You must come this way. You mustn't go. Stop it. And so the vast majority of references to training and discipline in uh, the Bible are are there in the wisdom literature, in the Psalms, the Proverbs. We haven't got time to go through them. Ask me later and I'll give you a a litany if that's what you want. Passages that clearly refer to the wise person as the one who seeks to walk in God's path. That's the common picture in the Bible. The one who wants to be godly, who learns from God what it is to be godly and the one who is disciplined if they walk out of God's path. And I think that's the sense of what's going on here in Hebrews chapter 12. That uh, Old Testament picture is being picked up here. So our writer begins, verse 4, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. There's an assumption there that we're fighting sin, that we want to walk in God's way, and it's not easy for us. And then notice how the passage ends. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. The the ideas of of training and discipline coming together. We're trained by discipline for righteousness. Our writer makes the clear connection between the battle with sin, painful discipline, and the righteousness that God seeks for us. Sometimes we err. We walk out of the correct path into the wrong one. Sometimes We do it on purpose. Sometimes we don't want to fight for godliness. We're quite content in the wrong path. But that is dangerous and foolish. 
And so God, verse 9, gives us human fathers who train us in the way we should go, discipline us when we sin. And and that's a picture of what God is doing. Verse 5, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, because the Lord is a father. He's our heavenly father who seeks to discipline us to keep us in the path of godliness. God desires for us to bear fruit, a harvest of righteousness and peace. And elsewhere in the New Testament, the same principle is extended to the church, to church discipline, the church as God's means of keeping us on the right path, of producing repentance and godly fruit. I hope you can begin to see how this big bites for us. I think it's a temptation for us to think this. I've trusted in Jesus, so that's enough. You might have even heard that. You might have said that to yourself or to your kids. But Jesus saves us not only from the punishment for sin that we deserve, but from the habit of sinning itself. We're to grow in grace, to grow more like Jesus, to be more beautiful every day as he is beautiful. Which is why the power for change actually comes as we dwell on his character and the works that he has done. It's getting to know Jesus that gives us the strength, the the love, the passion to be like Jesus. The language of training in the Bible is the language of taking godliness seriously. God has provided formal structures, the home, the church, as places where instruction and discipline can happen, training in godliness. He's provided informal relationships, as between older women and younger women. And I guess we can multiply that by all manner of different networks of relationships within the church. Ways in which God has established us in interconnected relationships so that we can train each other, learn from each other, seek to grow in godliness. And of course, he's provided his spirit to help us to train ourselves, to to beat our bodies into submission, to, to learn to walk in godliness. I wonder if any of that's a surprise. God is more interested in your godliness than your skills. And I think we might be surprised again. I don't know, you, I, I'm really used to the idea of uh, training, being going to the classroom and somebody telling me some things and learning those things, or choosing not to learn those things, depending on how interesting the lecture is. But that's not how training works in the Bible either. We might think, if I just come to church and Ash or Andy talks at me for half an hour, I've got my training for the week. So let's look at how training actually happens in the New Testament. We look at uh, both Jesus and Paul, people who took training others in godliness very, very seriously. Now this may seem like an obvious statement, but Jesus didn't go into a classroom, ever, as far as I know. And he didn't teach others simply abstractions about God, although we can sometimes be tempted to do that. And so Jesus invited people to follow him, to live with him, to see how the things he taught manifested themselves in the practical day-to-day living. Jesus grounded everything that he said in his manner, in who he hung out with, in how he loved and lived and died. One of the joys of preparing us to look at Mark's Gospel next year is that we'll get to spend time not looking just at what Jesus taught, but how he taught, and where he taught, and who he taught, and who he spent time with, and how he cared for people. 
And it's why the message of the gospel is not just some abstract concepts, but a person. Just consider uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, John writing to uh, a church that he's established to convince them that they've got the true gospel. And he writes, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Jesus is the word of life. And so we might think it's all about verbiage. It's about speaking at people. But John says, we've not just heard this. We've seen it. We've we've touched it. We've interacted with it. Jesus lived alongside his disciples in order to show them the gospel and its effects. And so the cross, for example, it's not only a substitutionary sacrifice for the sins of his people, although it certainly is that. And we must be clear about the theology of that. It's also an example to be followed by his disciples. As when Jesus himself says in Mark 8 that we're to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him every day. Jesus not only gives us teaching, but a way of living. The great French apologist Blaise Pascal, a bit of a hero of mine, uh, wants to, to ask us the question, does your worldview work? What sort of society does uh, atheism produce? What sort of society does Islam produce? He would want to turn the attention to us and say, what sort of society, what sort of church does real Christianity produce? See, Jesus didn't just teach, he showed. He showed us what that true godliness is and he asked us to do the same. And so did Paul. You'll know that phrase from Corinthians. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Christ's example is not just an abstract thing for the church to know, but a model for how the church is to live. And so Paul trained people by living alongside them for a long time. You think about Timothy, we've just been looking at 1 Timothy uh, in church for the last few months. Uh, Timothy would have been maybe 16 when he started travelling with Paul. He was a teenager. Uh, by the time he gets left in Ephesus to sort the church out there, he'd been with Paul for maybe 20 years. And so Paul could write to him these words from uh, 2 Timothy uh, and chapter 3. Do turn to it, page 1196. 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. You, however... Know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings. And he goes on. Timothy, you've learned the gospel from me. And that's important. It's critical. You know all about Jesus and you, you can teach others about Jesus and you must teach others about Jesus. It's really important. The whole premise of 2 Timothy is that you must, must teach the gospel. But you've not only learned the truths Uh, that I profess with my mouth. You've seen me live them out over many years, in my manner, in my passions, in my priorities. You've learned from me, by walking alongside with me, how to live as a Christian. And so now, Timothy, you've got to do it as well, in season and out of season, which is where he gets to. Training is not done at arm's length. It's not done in the classroom. It's done side by side, living together, straining together to live for Christ. 
Now, that doesn't mean we start a commune here in, in uh, Earlsfield. We're not all going to move in together so we can all live side by side really closely. Um, that might terrify many of us. I'm not sure you'd want to live with me. But it does beg the question, doesn't it? How does all this stuff about teaching and training in particular affect us as a church here in Oldsfield? And so our last point there, training at Christchurch. If training is going to be one of our core commitments at Christchurch, then we need to know what it's going to look like for us. And the thing to notice is, just like when we looked at reach and build a couple of weeks ago, there are both formal and particularly, crucially, informal ways in which this has to work itself out. And it's important we notice both of these things, isn't it? Because if we only think that training happens in formal settings, structural institutional stuff, where Andy or I stand at the front and we, we lecture people on skills and things that we have to do, and you guys can sit there and you can choose to listen or you can choose to do Sudoku puzzles or whatever... If that's all it is, well, that's a terrible perversion of training, isn't it? That's not what we've seen at all. Because every Christian needs to be fully engaged in in this fight for godliness. On the other hand, if we leave it all to you guys, if we all just go around training each other in whatever way we feel seems to be the right thing at the time, we're just as likely to lead each other into the wrong path as the right one. We, We need the teaching that keeps us in mind where we're going. And we need mutual training. Let's just zoom out for one second. To be a Christian, full stop, to be a Christian is to be committed to living God's way together. It's, it's to turn away from sin and to go God's way. That's what repentance is, what faith means. We do so under the authority of the word of God and under the authority of the eldership who bring the word of God. That's how God has arranged the church. And since we do it under the word of God, our Bible teaching is absolutely essential to our training, isn't it? Because it sets our common direction, our trajectory together. Together we learn about who Jesus is. We we also learn about the necessary implications of the gospel, how we must live. And so likewise, our small groups, they're not just for us to understand the gospel better, although I hope that we will all know Mark's gospel better after next year's small groups. They're meant to be a place where we can get to know each other and love each other and apply the gospel into each other's lives to to live alongside each other a little bit better than it's it's possible for us to do on a Sunday. Similarly, as a church, we take discipline really seriously because we're all prone to wander out of the path from time to time. And sometimes we do it willfully. Sometimes we do it not wanting to come back. But God loves us too much to let, let his sheep wander And so he's established the church around us to bring us back. And we take discipline seriously because we're Christians. And Christians desire to live God's way. And so we walk together, learning together, keeping each other accountable together. Of course, at this point, all all the formal stuff that we do here begins to blur into the more informal stuff that we do. So where, for example, are the boundaries between family and church? As a parent, I know that my kids are watching me. That's as it should be, but it's slightly terrifying. They learn good habits from me, and unfortunately they learn a lot of bad habits from me as well. And even as I'm growing up as a Christian, as I I try to raise my kids in the, the, the knowledge and instruction of the Lord, 
So I need the other guys around me saying, come on Ash, walk this way. I need to be discipled as you do. Even as I'm learning, as I go along, how to be a parent. (coughs) At the same time, you guys are not absolved of helping us raise our kids. As a church family, we don't have a lot of much older women. I pray that God would bring us some. We don't have a lot of much older women who can teach and train the younger women here how to be mature Christian ladies. But we have quite a number of godly ladies who can walk alongside our young girls who are coming up, who can help them reinforce the lessons their mothers are teaching them, help them to raise up to be godly women themselves. And of course the same thing applies across the church, doesn't it? In all sorts of ways. Who is it that you're training? And who is it that's training you? I think it's quite a good maxim for church life to ask the question, um, who is it that I'm learning from? Who is my mentor in a particular area of my life at the moment? And who am I deliberately trying to train at this moment in time? So have you thought about an area that you'd like to grow in? An area of godliness where you think, I'd really love to develop that area and be more godly in that particular sphere. Well, who is the person you look up to in that area? Who's the person you could go to and say, please will you let me walk with you just for a season while I learn from you how to be more godly in that area? I'm not convinced we're very good at this. We're not great on apprenticeships, are we, in this country? We're too self-reliant and individualistic. But God has given us the church to train each other in all sorts of practical ways. So we'd be better as parents, better with money, more more self-disciplined, better evangelists and so on. The list could go on forever, couldn't it? Areas in which we'd love to grow and be more godly. Are you setting a good example by gymnasing in godliness? Who are you teaching? Who's teaching you? Are you teaching good things or bad habits? In conclusion... God is more interested in our character than our competence. Of course he gives us particular skills and we're thankful for all the abilities that people bring to church. And indeed we will put on whatever skills training we can do to develop those skills because those things are important. We want to do things really well here as a church. But God is looking for us all to grow in our character. And that has to be our priority here as well as a church. Are we seeking to walk as repentant people? If so, that's going to mean hard work, isn't it? Because we're all prone to going back after sin. Are we wrestling with our own demons? Are we wanting people to walk with us and help us to fight? If so, it's going to mean vulnerability, isn't it? With each other. Because we can't do it by ourselves. We've all tried and failed to, to grow in godliness by ourselves, haven't we? We need the word of God to guide us, to point us in the right direction. We need the example and the accountability and the help of others walking alongside us. The church is emphatically not a collection of individuals, but a totally interconnected family. That's what we're to seek to be. Little by little, we need to develop good habits of training one another, week by week, month by month, so we grow into maturity together. Not just in our doctrine, not only in the things that we know and we teach each other, but in the way that we live. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your word. Praise you for the way that it...
points us towards Christ and Christ's likeness. Please would you grant that we would uh, gymnate, uh, that we would fight uh, our own sinful impulses to uh, grow in godliness. Would you give us the vulnerability, the humility to seek each other out, to recognise godliness in each other and to ask for help in growing in those uh, self-same disciplines. Father, make us a church that really takes this seriously. Help us to train one another that we might be the church you called us to be, uh, imitating Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.